Well, amen, that's what he did. He just spoke it into existence. So I, I want to begin by saying this. There is power in the Word of God. Amen? He spoke everything into existence. And, and if you look at God manifested himself in humanity, when God put skin on and came to this earth in the form of a man named Jesus, when Jesus performed miracles, he performed them with the spoken word in the fraction of a second because that's how big our God is. Now, I think in our world today, we have a much too small of a view of our God, and we have a much too big of a view of ourself. And so I think for us to be who it is God wants us to be and to experience him for all he is, we need to reverse that and get a new view of God. Now, he has given us this word, and, and for the next several weeks, this brand new series is called The Core. And I appreciate Kyle for covering last week for me. He does a great job. And, uh, and we did that so I could go to another church in the second service uh, to take a look and see if somebody's doing something different that maybe we can learn from. And it, and it allows him to develop this part of his ministry, which is the preaching ministry. Now, this brand new series is called The Core because it's very important that we understand our core values, who we are and why we are who we are. And so I want you to know that every organization has core values. It, certainly a successful organization will have core values. And we are no different. We have core values. And the first one is God's Word. It is extremely important that we understand the value of God's Word. It's important that we understand what we believe about God's Word. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Now, the first, the first item on the core values is God's Word. And so the title of today's message is, Did God Really Say That? Now, I didn't make up that phrase that came out of scripture. And so as we begin today, we're going to take a look at it. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something right now. On your worship guide, some of you are OCD. We're skipping point number one, so don't freak out, okay, when the fill in the blank is number two, okay? Just understand that's where we're going. I'll explain it in a minute. Now, Genesis 1 is where we're going to begin because if we're going to consider God's word, it's important that we go to the foundation, to the very beginning where he began. Genesis 1 Verses 1 through 5, listen what he says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and the darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. So God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening. There was morning marking the first day. So it all began when God spoke it into existence. Now we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. I want you to look now at Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 7. It says in verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the soil of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted an orchard in the east in Eden and there he placed the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. Now the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were in the middle of the orchard. Look down at verse 16. Then, God, then the Lord God commanded the man, you may, eat, you may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, I want you to understand, pause right there. God has told us a tremendous amount 
about who we are and why we're here and how it all came into existence. Okay? Now, as we go, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but I want you to know God spoke it into existence, everything, out of nothing at all. The Latin word is ex nihilo. He took nothing and fashioned nothing into everything that exists. Okay? Not only that, but then he fashioned man. And then he said, man, I've got an orchard. And I've got some rules for you. They're simple. You can eat of everything in the garden, but there's this one little spot over this one tree. I don't want you to partake of that tree. Because in the moment that you do that, you will surely die. He has given them all of the instruction for living. He has given them all of the instruction they need, need to live with God. You see, if, if we read the entirety of that text, we find out that God would come in the cool of the morning, and he would walk with them, and he would communicate with them. But something happens, and here it is. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more shrewd, some translations may say crafty, than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he, Mr. Crafty, said to the woman, Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? Now that's the NET version, New English Translation. If you read that phrase in the New American Standard Bible, it says, Indeed, has God said that? If you read it in the NIV, it says, Did God really say? If you read it in the King James Version, it says, Hath God said See, that Mr. Crafty spoke King's English. Hath God said? Now, I want you to know something, okay? We live in a world that wants to bring into question God's Word from beginning to end. We, we, we live in a world that takes God's Word and puts it under all kinds of scrutiny, runs it through all kinds of inspection, tries to merge all kinds of the world's information to God's Word. And when we do that, it gets very tangled up very quickly. And I, I want to ask you a question, and I'm looking for a show of hands. Have you had a conversation lately with somebody that wanted to bring into question God's Word, that wanted to deny that parts of it were necessarily true, that maybe part of it was allegory, maybe part of it was metaphorical? Have you had a conversation like that lately? If you haven't, start talking to people. You'll find it. You don't have to look far. Because it's out there. But I want you to know something. It's not new. Just because it's 2017, it doesn't mean it's new. It's not, it's not revolutionary. Okay? It began for us in the garden. As soon as mankind is created. Now, we don't know how much time has elapsed since all is created. Adam and Eve exist. And Mr. Crafty shows up talking to Eve. We don't know what the time frame is on that. But we know he brings with him questions. Hello? And here's what he says. Did God really say that? I, I mean, did, did he really say that? Now, I want you to know, before Mr. Crafty showed up in the garden, he appeared in heaven. And he was the leader of worship. You've got to watch the worship guy, okay? And what he did, his name was Lucifer, and he was the anointed one. And, and he convinced a third of the angels that he had a better plan. We read about it. It's called the five prideful I wills. He says, I will ascend. I will rise up. And his plan is to dethrone Yahweh, God the creator and sustainer of all, and to put himself in charge. And he is so good at questioning the authority and the integrity of God that he convinced a third of the angels to come with him. Well, it doesn't work. Let me, if you want to try that, let me just tell you how it ends up. He booted them out of heaven, banished them forever, 
Now, we find Lucifer going before God to question him about Job, but he ultimately, he will not be in heaven. He will be expelled. He will be banished to a place of torment. Hell is created for Satan and those demons. Unfortunately, people today who don't receive Christ will be there with them. So now listen. Here's the deal. It's not a brand new thing. Did God really say? Now that's a great question. And it begs for a really good answer. Okay? I mean, a really good answer. On the one hand... That question has been the motivation of debates, discussions, battles, murder, and martyrdom since the beginning of time. Do you understand that? Nations have fought nations. Families have fought families. Brothers have fought brothers. Sisters have fought sisters. Husbands have fought wives. Children have fought parents. Churches have fought their pastor. Okay? About what God really said. Did he really say that? Well, I'm... I have a simple expression for a simple mind, which I am, and it is this. God meant what he said, and he said what he meant. Why? Because God knew who he was dealing with. He created you. He created your gray matter. He created the way you process. He created me, my gray matter, and the way I process. So I believe God, knowing that, spoke a word that is intelligible to just about all of us if we will just simply take God at his word. So on the one hand, it's been the center of battles and conflict and murder itself. On the other hand, it has been the foundation that formed nations. America was one of them. America was founded on the Word of God. Now, you can read all kinds of information. Well, Thomas Jefferson, he was a, he was a deist. I don't care. Okay? Abraham Lincoln was a Christian. Okay? But this nation was founded on God's Word. Now, we've drifted. We're, we're not a Christian nation anymore. We are a nation with some Christians in it, but we are not a Christian nation anymore. And, and so, on the one hand, it's controversy. On the one hand, it's, it's murder and discussions. On the other hand, it's a foundation, a pillar of civilization. Nations, universities, seminaries, churches. Let's get real fine, real small. My life. And my eternal destiny hinges and hangs on this one question, did God really say? Because if God really said he loves an old sinner like Joel do, and he loves him so much that he would come to this earth by putting flesh on, becoming human, only to be qualified to die on a cross in my place, if he really meant that, and if I receive that grace gift into my life, then I am forever saved, forever changed, forever headed into a, a place with God the Father because of what Jesus has done. But if you, if you really didn't say that, then all this is vain. I remember when I was about 25, I suspect, 27, I was real hungry for God's Word. And I've shared this story. I just, it just got in me. And, I carried a little red testament, a Gideon testament, and I'd, it was all highlighted because, you know, I mean, it was just, oh, it's all good. You know, Jesus wept. Oh, that's good. You know, I mean, the genealogy of Jesus. Oh, that's good. You know, I mean, it's just, it's eat up with it. And I remember I had a boss who was a Satanist, and he really was. And he came to me and he said, Joel, do you really believe that? And he had some choice words. And I said, well, yeah, I do. And he said, it's just, it's a garbage. It's all garbage. And I said, well, Dennis, here's the deal. Let's just say I'm right, and I believe it, and I'm saved because of it. 
one day I spend forever in heaven. And let's say I'm wrong. And it's not real and it's a lie. I lived a good life and when I die, I turn into worm, worm food just like you. But let's say you're wrong and I'm right. You spend eternity in hell. <laughs> I got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Now let me just tell you, that's the position we need to have as Christians. Where we are sold out. Where we believe, we plant our feet on the word of God. Because it is a game, a forever game changer. What Jesus said, what God said is true and it's accurate. And we can build our life on it. You know the expression, to not stand for anything means that we will fall for everything. You don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. So it's time some of us as Christians just simply laid it all down. Just set that stuff off. And walked out and said, okay, here I am. I'm just going to believe it. I am just simply going to believe it. I believe that in this day we live in, where people are more educated, more exposed to knowledge than ever before. I believe it's true. I believe it's, we live in a country that once held a biblical uh, worldview. And the Word of God continues to be under attack every day. Now, you may disagree with me. Let me explain. Okay. Uh, my wife teaches math, okay. And she's a very good math teacher. I say it all the time, okay. There's, they're learning math earlier than they ever have before. You, you're in the sixth grade. When, when did they learn pre-algebra? Sixth grade? Sixth grade, pre-algebra. I am so glad my girls are long grown up because I wouldn't be able to help them with their math. I'd act like I did. <laughs> that one's so easy. I'm going to let your mama take care of that. Okay? I mean, because I wouldn't know. Okay? Because they learn, they're exposed to education, things, higher things so much earlier. Not only that, but you can get on your computer and you look up anything. Man, you have access to all the knowledge in the world. Google it, okay? Wikipedia, I mean, you can bank your life on that stuff. That's solid. And in that, you'll get exposed to good stuff, bad stuff, true stuff, false stuff. But it's out there. And younger than ever, we're exposed. But the problem is, most of the stuff we see or hear wants to denounce, wants to undermine, wants to discredit this book. So if we're talking about this series called The Core, and number one core value is the Word of God, I want you to know, because this is important, I want you to know who your pastor is and what he believes. I want you to know what this church will be built on. You don't have to agree with everything I say, but you're, you don't preach. So this is what you're going to hear. And if you don't like what you hear, and as a group, you all, none of you all want to agree with what your preacher believes about the Word, that's fine too. I've never looked for a job ever. So you can fire me and find somebody else, and God will provide something else for me. True, Kendra? It's true. He'll find us another job, okay? Because he takes care of us. So I want you to know what this church will be built on. It will be built on this book called God's Word. Now, I want you to know that I don't have all the answers, but I want you to know that I know the one who does, and his name is God. I want you to know that this book is what we'll see in a minute. 2 Timothy 3.16 says is the theonustus, the breath of God. When God speaks, great things happen. Jesus performed his miracles in a fraction of a second because of his word, because he was God and man all at the same time. So, so great things happen because of God's Word. Now, 
If, if you have different ideas than your pastor, it's fine. You come talk to me. But you're not going to sway me about God's word. You're not going to sway me that this word it has errors in it. You're not going to sway me that this word has contradictions in it. You're not going to sway me that this word is, is not inerrant. That this word is not infallible. You won't. Now let me explain how I ended up in this stubborn position that I'm in as a 55-year-old preacher of the gospel. I was raised in a Christian home, and I was raised with this childlike faith that there is a God who's bigger than us. And this God who's bigger than us chose to love somebody like me, a little boy who was a terrible sinner. So much that he came to this earth and died on a cross just for me. And I heard that story, and the Spirit of God spoke to my heart, the realness of it, the conviction of my nature. And I got saved when I was 10 years old. It was 1972. Okay? And so I lived the rest of my childhood until I went to college ignorant, okay? Not a studier of God's Word, but taught some fundamentals that God is real, He's bigger than we know, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, of a rescue. And Jesus rescued us. That God's word is true from what I would say, index to maps. I used to tell people, I believe this is a holy Bible because it says holy Bible right there. For a long time, I'd have my name on there. I believe this is my Bible. It's got my name right on there. Okay? I believe it when you go to the back, read the maps. I believe they're accurate. Okay? I, 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 I have to. That's, I have to. Well, then I went to college. Went to Tennessee Technological University. It's a great school. You can send your kids there. But I'm going to tell you this. When I got there, I started going to chemistry class and biology class or history class or English or whatever else. And they all wanted to throw darts at the Bible and Christianity. And this was in the 80s. Okay? It's old school. Okay? We were wearing bell bottoms. Just got out of silk shirts. You know what I'm saying? But even then, man, they would throw Christianity under the bus that it's built on a lie, that you can't trust it. And it shook my faith to the core. So I'm just going to tell you, I began to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle, and it hurt my soul. And it baffled my brain. And this two days ago, something happened to me, and only in the first service do I know why. I have a sermon illustration of how badly my soul and my brain hurt from wrestling with whether or not God's truth is true forever, for all time, from beginning to end. I was working on a project. Uh, anybody see this finger? That's a good looking. It's not my bird finger. I'm not giving you a bird. I'm sh showing my finger now. See right here? This one right here. That's nice, isn't it? You ever have one of those? Let me tell you how bad that hurts. Okay? You know you're not dead because you can feel your heartbeat right down there. Okay? Screaming your name. I'm here. All right? And somebody asked me, said, why didn't you poke a hole in it, relieve the pressure, heat up a needle, stick it in, poke a hole in it? I could not. I didn't have the nerve, number one. I was talking to my daughter who's a nurse, and she said, yeah, that's fine. You can take the pressure off. She said, but when's the last time somebody sprained their ankle, their ankle swelled up, and they poked a hole in it? Never seen that happen, so I didn't do it. Okay? But here's, as badly as that hurt, I want you to know, that's how bad my soul hurt. To hear adult educated people who were far smarter than I was to tell me that what I believed was true, that the Holy Spirit had whispered in my heart, to bring it into question and to begin to cause me to do what happened in the garden so many years before. 
Now, did God really say that? Did God really say that? And so I wrestled and I wrestled and God put me and Kendra together and she didn't wrestle as much as I did because she was much, she is much brighter and she was also a better Christian person, okay? And God put us in a church and the preacher had a spine, great old big spine, great old big feet, great old big guy. And he would preach the word and I knew I began to get out of this fog and I begin to understand that God is really good at saying what he means and meaning what he says if we are willing simply to open up and hear what it is he says. So I believe this word is the authority of God. It is the absolute breath of God. I believe it's infallible. I believe it's without contradiction. I believe it's inerrant. I believe it's true from beginning to end. I believe it's not only history. I believe it's a love story written from God to me and to you. That's what I believe about it. And so it is one of our core values is God's Word. It's important that you know where I stand. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Every scripture is inspired by God. That's the theonoustos, the breath of God. And it's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Why? In verse 17, so that every person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. He gave you this book not only to tell you how you can be redeemed, washed clean of your sin, and spend eternity with God, but so until you get to that place where you're in the presence of God, you live for Him doing every good work. That is the work that God has called you to do. And so to say that I can understand all of this, it's a lie. If you think you're pastor, I, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and got a master's. I went to Liberty University, and I've done all the coursework for my doctorate. I haven't written my thesis because I cannot even write a good paragraph anymore. I'm so sick of writing. Okay? I told Kendra I hope to finish it in 2018 to think. If you think the pastor understands all this, you are wrong. The pastor doesn't understand all it. Let me tell you. There's pieces and parts of it that he has whispered in my heart, and I know I'm confident in it. And there's other parts that I wrestle with, and I just don't seem to know. Why? Because I am a creation trying to understand a creator. And if, if you ever hear anybody tell you they've got this figured out, run far away from them because they're a lunatic and a fool. They will never understand it. You say, well, how can you say, make such a bold claim? Because that's what Scripture says. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it reminds us who we are and who he is. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, this is the spread of our level of uh, understanding. As far as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are, that are higher than your thoughts. And so today I want you to know regarding this word, all of us, and everybody on the planet will fall into one of three categories regarding this book. One of three categories. It's very simple. First of all, I believe it all and I surrender to it all. I believe it all, I surrender to it all. Now this is what we call a biblical worldview which America used to have. A biblical worldview is when we take the world and everything we try to learn and we run it through a litmus or we run it through the lens of God's Word. 
We put on biblical glasses to view every bit of information that we run across. And if it aligns itself well with God's word, okay, that sounds good. Okay, that is what it means to say, I believe it, I surrender to it. That's where I am. Now, don't get me wrong. Do I get it all right all the time? No, I don't. But I believe it's all true, and I try to surrender to it all I can. Number two, and this one I like the least. This one is the most difficult category. Some of you are in this category. I love you, but you're in this category. And this is difficult to wrestle with. And it is this. Well, I accept parts of it as accurate. I accept parts of it as accurate. Now, this, this is what I call the buffet Bible believer. The buffet Bible believer. You open up this and you pick and choose what parts you're going to receive, what parts you're going to accept, what parts you're going to go by. Now, you know how it goes. You go to the buffet, you know, I'm, man, that roast beef, I'm on the roast beef. The potatoes, I'm potato man, put the potatoes here. I'm sliding on down, green beans, them look, I'll take some green beans. Okay, moving on down here, uh, rutabagos, whatever they're called, rutabagas. No. Brussels sprouts, <laughs> that's for the next guy who don't see those things. He's blind, he can't see what he's eating. Okay, coming on down, I don't want any of that. Cabbage, don't want it. Okay. Black eyed peas, yeah. Cornbread, yeah. Pie, yeah. It's a buffet. I left a whole lot behind. This is not a buffet. This is the Theonustos. This is the breath of God from beginning to end. And so, what this second category says is well, I believe it all, but I believe there's some stuff in there that's just allegorical. And don't get me wrong, there is some allegory in there. Well, I, I, believe it's, uh, I believe it all, but I believe some of it's metaphorical. And there's metaphors in there. But I want, you to, I want you to know something. Most of God's Word is not allegory. Most of God's Word is not metaphors. Most of God's Word is historical accuracy, the breath of God. And, and so, so these are the ones who want to argue about everything in the Bible. Now, I want to I teach you two words if you don't know them. Now, they're kind of seminary-ish words, but I want you to be aware of them. There's a word called exogesis, and there's a word called isogesis, okay? Exogete is to extract what God's Word says, to extract it, what it says. To isogete is to read into it what you want it to say. Let me give you a common topic, homosexuality. There's people who feel like they were born with a proclivity their DNA structure is such that they are born gay. They're born homosexual. No, they're born with a sin condition. Okay? But they want to read Scripture, and they want to read into it. Let me give you an example. Well, Jesus loved John more than he did the other disciples. Some would say Jesus and John had more than just a friendship. I'm telling you the truth. People would say... The scripture says that David loved Jonathan more than women. The homosexual community will read into that, isogete, and they'll say, oh, David and Jonathan had more than just a friendship. That's isogesis. Exogesis says from Genesis to Revelation, it's very clear 
God created men to be men, women to be women, for men to be married to one woman for life, to have children, procreate, and, and, and fill the earth. Now, that's, that's exogete. And the others, we've got to be careful about that. I do. I have to be careful about it. You need to be careful about it. Take out of God's Word what it says. Don't read into God's Word what you want it to say. Number three is this. I reject it all because I got the truth within me. Because truth, after all, is relative, right? What's true for you is true. What's true for me is true. And as long as my truth doesn't infringe upon your truth, we can all be happy. But don't you think it's more amazing to think that absolute truth comes from an absolute creator, an external source who could see the beginning, eternal past, and the end, eternal future. He could see it all and say, I got the truth that will be applicable for all time. You, it, it will be universally true. It will never move. It will never change. No matter what the culture looks like, no matter what the world looks like, no, no matter what, the, what, what people's minds look like, this will be true for all ages. And that's what God has done. So you see, truth is not relative. Truth is absolute if we believe that God has spoken this word. So did God really say? It's a, it's a really big question. Now, I want to say in this category number three, now listen to me. If, if you or somebody else believes that God's word, they just don't accept it, they're, they're lost. They are not a child of God. If someone says God's word's not true, I don't believe it, they cannot be saved. I'm telling you that. Because the Spirit of God does not live in them. I'm not, I'm not talking about category two. There's a lot of people say they're Christian and they read stuff into it. But there's, if you say you don't believe it, okay, then you're lost. You say, well, how can you say? That's judging, isn't it? I don't judge anything the Scripture doesn't judge. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 8.20. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Psalm 36.9 says, For with thee is the foundation of life. In thy light shall we see light. You see, when God's Spirit awakens us, enlightens us, comes in to dwell, He opens our eyes and our minds to see spiritual things and to experience God's Word and to know what it means and what it says. So for us to know God's Word, it's important. If we're going to believe, plant our feet and make this our foundation, we need to know a little bit about this book. So let's talk about this book. First of all, the Bible was written between 1450 B.C., okay, before common era, before Christ. So 1450 years before Jesus. And then the New Testament was written at the latest um, 100 years after Jesus, okay? Now, that means there's about a 1,500-plus year span that God breathed his word to mankind, okay? About a 1,500-year span. The oldest part of it is about 3,500 years old. It's not Genesis. It's Job. The first book in the Bible is Job. Written, listen, to 3,500 years ago. That's a long time. A long time. And God has been doing that. Now, he says in Revelation, don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away. If you do, you'll be cursed. So, so it's the end. And we'll talk about the canonization. Not I fired the canon, but the canon, the authority, the rule. We'll talk about that next week. Hopefully we'll get to that. But I want you to know this how, that's how old this book is. Now, so there's a, over a 1,500-year span, okay, that God spoke this thing. He spoke it to 40 different authors, 
Now, this is cool. Now, listen, if you want to read the Quran, okay, it's, it has unity from the beginning to the end. It's, it's, it makes, it's, it's clear and uh, stable from beginning to end, but it's because it was written by one man. If you read the book of Buddha, Buddhism, it's common or has unity from beginning to end because it's written by one person. This is written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years of time. And these authors didn't go to the same seminary, okay? They didn't, see, they didn't go to the same teacher, okay? These authors ranged from kings to fishermen and everywhere in between. There were physicians. There were uh, finance people. I mean, it's all over the map. And God breathed on all of them, and we'll see this next week, to inspire them not just with phrases or thoughts or ideology, but the actual words of God, the punctuation of God. The punctuation is accurate. So not only that, it came from three different continents. It's 66 individual books making up one. Now listen to this because we're going somewhere. I need you to lean in and pay attention. I'm going to help you understand for God to breathe this book word by word, punctuation by punctuation is no big deal if you know God. All right? So listen, it contains 1,189 chapters, 31,101 verses, 783,137 words. All right? That's a much, right? Three quarters of a million words in this book. If you sit down and read it, I bet you don't know this. Your average reader can read this in 70 hours. That's how long it takes to read this book. Now, some of you are saying, man, I, I'm not doing very good. I've been in Genesis for the last 12 years, okay? You can read it in 70 hours, okay? Not only that, it contains uh, 6,468 commands. There's 355 explicit prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus already fulfilled. Detailed prophecies that no one could ever know but God who knows beginning and end at the same time. And he gave those prophecies that Jesus has already fulfilled. This thing is an incredible book. Listen, it says, do not be afraid 365 times. That's one for every day. If you're a child of God, you ain't got to worry about nothing. You don't have to be afraid of anything. God knows what he's doing. He means what he says. He says what he meant. Now, let me explain how you can know that God is capable of breathing this word perfectly to the very punctuation mark. Jesus said, it is easier, this is Luke 16, 17, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tiny stroke of a letter in the law to become void. Now, you remember a minute, uh, when we started the message, the transition video was about the stars of the sky, right? This cool stuff. Billions and billions and billions and billions, okay? There's billions of galaxies with billions of stars, a conservative estimate today, based on all of the telescope research, says that there are, listen, how many stars are there in existence? Do you know? This is craziness. 10 times 20, excuse me, 1 times 10 to the 24th. That means you take 10, 24 zeros beside it. Kendra, you're a mathematician. They don't have a name for that, do they? You don't know? You teach calculus. Hello. Okay. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> found something she don't know feel better about myself already. Now, now here's the thing. No, they don't have a name. Okay? Mathematicians don't even know how to wrestle or wrangle with a number like 1 times 10 to the 24th. Okay? It's enormous. That's how many stars there are. Okay? Now, I want you to hear this scripture because this is really cool. 
In Psalm 147.4, we learn about what God thinks about 1 times 10 to the 24th stars. He counts the number of the stars, and he gives names to all of them. <laughs> Those of you who have recently had children, you know how much you labored over a name for your child? God has numbered 1 times 10 to the 24th stars. Hello. Not only that, listen to this scripture in Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one. And he calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you understand that? God calls them out to shine. He gives them a name. He gives them a number, and not one is missing. He has a full inventory of 1 times 10 to the 24th stars in the sky. Okay? That's pretty incredible. So let's back up. Would it be hard for that God to inspire, to breathe three-quarters of a million words with accuracy? Well, he did it over 1,500 years. There's 365 days in a year. So that means it would demand of this God an incredible 1.43 words per day. Don't you see? See, when you look at it like that, it's a game changer. It's no big deal for our God. Listen to me and lean in and hear this in your soul. Your God is bigger than you know. He's bigger than you can even comprehend. You can't, you and your husband and your kids and your wives and your mamas and your teachers can't all come together and conjure up the greatness of our God. Okay? I love knowing that. When I understood that, when I got out of college and planted my feet and said, you know what? That guy is, has a whole lot more brain power. There's more chipmunks running around in his brain than there is mine. But listen, God has spoken his word, and it's true from beginning to end. And the moment in time when I said, God, I just believe it. I don't understand it. The world out there says a lot of different stuff. I'm going on what you said, and I'm going to hang on to it. And I've been doing this now for 35 years since that time, almost. And I hear stuff come. Well, you know, they got a new testing, uh, a new testing uh, uh, protocol for testing the age of fossils. You know, carbon dating's old. They got this new stuff. Okay, yeah, and it's going to prove that, you know, the world is 48 billion years old. Oh, really? Great. Okay, God, I'm just hanging on here. I don't care. Okay? You can believe, you can believe monkeys fly. I don't care. Okay, you, you, you can believe whatever you want to believe. i got to hang on to this because my life is short and it's futile. And one day I stand before God and I'm totally comfortable looking at God and saying, God, you know how much gray, gray matter you put up in this gourd of mine. You know, you know what I was capable of understanding. So I took you at your word that you meant what you said and said what you meant. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I remember when we were in Alabama, I had a biology teacher. His name was Fitz. You got to worry about a guy named Fitz who teaches biology, okay? He was bright, wasn't he? Sharp guy. He's a good dude, a deacon in the church. And I was teaching on creation. And I don't care to tell you, I believe in a young earth. I believe in six literal days. Uh, Mike and I had a conversation about this this week. And I don't, if you want to believe differently, it's okay with me, okay? But that's just what I believe because I had to wrestle that down for myself. But I remember I was teaching it. And so he gave a test. How old is the earth was the question on the test. And at the time, I think it was a 43 billion answer. That moves around, too, because they, they don't know. 
And so anything but the Bible must be true. Okay, so, uh, so here's what happened. She raised her hand during class and said, what if the answer is not on the paper? And he said, uh, the answer is on the paper. And he said, she knew, he knew that she was uh, in our Bible class. And uh, he said, we're going by the answer from the book. And she said, I'm going by the book. I'm going by the Bible. Boy, that, gee, thanks. Okay, just threw me under the bus. So I find him, I find myself backed in the kitchen at the church. I'm not kidding. One way in, one way out. And Fitz is standing at the door. Now, I could take him. I was bigger than he was, okay? I mean, he's a biology teacher. I take a biology teacher. But here's what he said. Uh, you don't need to be teaching uh, these kids confusing information. I said, like, what are you talking about? He said that the earth is only about 6,000 years old. I said, well, that's what I believe based on Scripture. And he said, well, you're creating a confusing atmosphere. I said, I am? And I said, listen, Fitz. And I tell you, church, listen. You, you can believe, because this is what he said. He said, I don't believe we should confine God to six literal days. I think we should give God some latitude to do whatever he wants to do. And I said, Fitz, I don't confine him to six literal days. If he would have said six nanoseconds, I would have said, God created everything in six nanoseconds. I don't understand. It's bigger than I can imagine, but that's what it says. But that's not what he said. It said six days. So I said, that's what I believe. And I said, you can believe a billion, you can believe a gap theory that between days there's 40 billion years. I, I don't care. You can believe that although there's, you want to say there's fossil records before death, before sin. You want to believe, that's okay. One day we all stand before God. I stand before God and you stand before God and Fitz will stand before God. And we have to give an account for the life we lived. And I told him, I said, I don't have a problem saying, God, you created one ignorant vessel right here. And I wasn't bright enough to color way outside the lines. So I tried to keep it up close and personal. And so that's what it said, and that's what I hung on to. And forgive me if I taught other people wrong, which is terrible to do that. And I labor over not doing that. I said, but if I do it, if I did it, I just went by what you said. And he said, well, that's fair enough, but I just don't believe it's six little days. What makes you so convinced that it's six literal days? And I said, Fitz, it's like this in Genesis. It says, he created something. There was a morning, there was an evening, there was a number, and there was a day. And that day in the Bible, in Hebrew, is Yom. And it's the same throughout the Old Testament. Nowhere else does he ever say morning, evening, number, day. Every time else he just says day. But for some reason, God saw fit to say morning, evening, number, day. And so I think he's trying to be explicitly clear that it's a literal day. That's what I believe. I said when Jonah finds himself in the belly of the great fish for three days, nobody ever, same Hebrew word, yom, nobody ever says, now was he in there for a day or like 60 billion years? Okay, no. Why? Because it says a yom. So that's why I believe it. I say again, if you choose not to believe, it's okay. It's, so, it's totally okay, okay? But that's what I believe, and that's what, your, that's what your, our church is built upon, that God's Word says what He means and means what He says. Wow. I'm going to pause right there, and I'm going to pick up next week. Now, the early service people got a little heads up, okay? But I'm going to tell you where we're going. 
I want you to be here because I want you to know, okay, not what I believe, but what Scripture says. Jesus confirms Scripture. Scripture confirms Scripture. Uh, prophecy confirms Scripture. He tells us every, we got six reasons we can bank our life on the truthfulness and the accuracy of God's Word. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to tell you what, in all of its accuracy, in all of its uncluttered, unfogged nature, There is an overwhelming theme from Genesis to Revelation, and it is this. God created you to love you. God chose to love you beyond all of your sinfulness. God chose to want to redeem you, to forgive you, to make you his own child forever. God chose to do something about it. God chose to come to this earth and die on a cross to pay for your sin. He did it in a man named Jesus. All of the Old Testament points to it. All of the New Testament describes it. And one day, it all comes to a conclusion. And Jesus will be the king of the universe. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. And if you're here today, and you don't know that grace found in Jesus, I want you to know something. God loves you. And he wants to save you from your sin and call you his own. And you say, well, what do I do? You simply say, God, I believe I'm a sinner. I don't have to look too far in my past to see it. I believe you love me, and you chose to do something about it. I want Jesus to come into my life and save me because I can't save myself. I will never be good enough to be in your presence short of what Jesus has done. Come into my life and save me. Help me live for you from this day forward. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.